Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's House. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. I was thinking this uh, this afternoon, even just about um, uh, Hosea, the prophet Hosea and the prophet Isaiah, uh, are, were contemporaries. They were speaking at the same time, although they were speaking to two different people. Hosea was speaking to the northern kingdom. Isaiah, at the same time, was speaking to the southern kingdom. And uh, what's interesting to me is that the Lord, in, in, in part of the prophetic messages that they gave, the Lord gave them an identical message. And so he's saying it to the north, he's saying it to the south, and and it was this. And he says through Isaiah, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And at the same time, he said to Isaiah, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. And he said, my noblemen are famished. Even Amos would, would speak, and he would, he would say there is a famine, but it's not a famine of bread. It's a famine of the hearing of the Lord. And so uh, let it never be said of us at the Father's house or Beit Abba, let it never be said of you, right, that I'm starving to death, right, that we're going to be those who um, open up the word every day and, and uh, we're going to continue to take in and to eat the word of God. And so I want to bring a word uh, tonight. We've the last couple of Havaras, we have um, it, it has fallen into a little bit of a mini series. We've been talking about uh, inside the Joseph story. Though strangely, we've never really talked about Joseph, but uh, we have been inside of his family. We've been inside of his story a little bit. And a couple of months ago, I spoke about uh, Simeon, one of the brothers. And uh, and then last last month, if you haven't heard the podcast, if you weren't here, you definitely want to hear it. Uh, our great friend, Dr. Nina, was here, and she spoke about go get Benjamin. And so that was a great word, and you want to uh, pick up that if you haven't heard it yet. And tonight, I'm going to stay put. I prayed, and I said, Lord, you know, what is it? And it was like, nope, don't leave the story. And so I've been looking at Reuben. And so tonight, the message is called Reuben's Rejection. A little bit of a negative twist there on that, but I, hopefully it's going to make sense here in a few minutes. One of the verses that I really love in the Bible, um, because it is just like, okay, this is going to be a dumb statement. It's so true. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that God, uh, this is long ago, has uh, spoke to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. And I, when I un, uh, just unearth some of the things out of the Old Testament where God spoke to the fathers, the fathers of our faith, the fathers of Israel, uh, through the prophets in many portions, in many ways, I think that is so true. Like there are so many stories, but they all are types and shadows. And I mean, they really did happen, but the Lord was, um, the Lord was using them to communicate so many other things. And there, and and uh, the Lord gives these central themes. There are, I mean, there can be a, a million lessons for life, right, inside the scriptures, but there are not a million different messages. There are primary messages that the Lord gives, and guess what? He gives them over and over and over in many portions and in many ways. And take for example, this is not our message tonight, but just take for example, and this is completely abridged, all right? This list is not full. 
But if you just were to think about salvation, like what are what would be some of the ways that God maybe unveiled the story of salvation in the Old Testament? And and uh, we think about a, a, a main one. It would be in Genesis 22, where Abraham was called to offer up his son on Mount Moriah, and even the Lord said, "Abraham, I want you to take your your son, your only son, the one that you love." And right there, you know, you, our ears almost just want to go to John chapter 3, and, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Oh, there's a picture. Oh, there's a portion. There's a way that God is going to reveal salvation right there in the story in Genesis 22. We even, if you go into Leviticus, well, Leviticus is full of this, but if we look at even Leviticus in the first seven chapters, and you, get, you uh, he begins to explain and and to um, unearth some of the, the the sacrifices that Israel were to offer, the five different sacrifices inside the tabernacle and the temple, and there was you know they, the five of them were different, and and they have different details. Do you how much of that uh, animal do you burn? Do you burn the whole thing, or do you just burn parts? Do you eat any of it? Do you not eat any of it? You know, like what what parts are going on the barbecue? And what are not. And so, you know, but even all of those sacrifices, guess what? They're all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to the story of salvation. So here we go. Another many portions and in many ways. And uh, I was thinking even about the tabernacle, Moses's tabernacle, the layout of the tabernacle, the colors that were used inside the tabernacle, the fabric that's inside the tabernacle, each piece of, of the furniture and all of the vessels, what is it? It's all speaking about the work and the ministry and the, uh, of Jesus and the story of salvation. It's not just this little building where they held church. It's all pointing to him. And again, in many portions and in many ways, God was communicating to the fathers through the prophets. And then I thought of Moses himself, you know, and I just, and it says in Deuteronomy that, that the Lord speaks and speaks through Moses. And he said, I'm going to raise up another prophet like you, Moses, and he's going to lead my people. And there's the tie to that, even to the New Testament, but it's not even just Moses, although Moses is absolutely pointing us right to, he's the deliverer, right? But it's not just him. It's the high priest on the Day of Atonement. It's David. It's Boaz. It's Joseph. It's, it's Joshua. Like, just keep going. And what is it? The Lord is revealing the same story about the coming Messiah and what he would do what, in many portions and in many ways. And it just keeps going. It just keeps going. But I would not want to talk about salvation tonight. There is another central and, and and this isn't really not going to be like rocket science here tonight. You're going to get this, I think. I mean, I believe that. Um, but there's another central message that we see throughout Scripture. It's even it's like a scarlet thread that we see that the Lord brings up over and over again, and it's just this: that the things that are birthed or the things that are brought forth by the Holy Spirit are greater than anything that's birthed by the flesh. What comes forth from the Holy Spirit, what is birthed, is, it, we could almost even say it supersedes. That word supersedes, if you're not super familiar with it, it means that it replaces power and authority of something else. So whatever like was in place, let's call it the flesh, let's call it the natural, the spirit will supersede it. 
It replaces its authority. It replaces the power. The spirit supersedes the natural. It sets it aside. And here's another thought, is that these two things are in opposition to one another. I don't have to tell you that either, did I? All I do is like, you just give me half a day and I'm convinced, right? That there is a war that's going on inside. It's a war between the, my flesh and there's a war that's, uh, and it's warring against the things of the spirit. And so this is a thought that um, I want to unpack a little bit tonight. It says in Romans uh, chapter 8, got a few verses here I want to read for you, where uh, Paul begins to take these two things, the flesh and the spirit, and he's going to juxtapose them a little bit. He's going to say, here's what we get, and like we're talking about what's coming forth, what's being birthed out of the flesh, what's being birthed out of the spirit. Well, let's just compare them and see if one doesn't supersede the other, but he begins to describe the things that are coming from the flesh and coming from the spirit. He writes this, Romans 8, verses 5 through 10. It says this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So where my mind is set. For the mind that's set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind that is on the flesh is hostile to, uh, toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells inside of you. But if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, then he doesn't belong to him. If Christ is in you, though, you're, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And you see these two things, and I've uh, just kind of done a list. I think Emma's going to bring that up for us. Let's see how this pops up. Oh, it didn't come up so well, did it? Hmm. Well, let's just think about some of the things that are of the flesh. The things that are on the flesh, the mind is set on the flesh. Oh, wait, that's, so, that's great. That was not so great. This is perfect. Sorry about that. All right. So the flesh, look at this. The mind is set on the flesh. What, what do I do? If the flesh is ruling, what's coming out? Well, it's where my mind is set. I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm thinking fleshly thoughts. I'm, I'm concerned about my passions. I'm really uh, into my desires, and I'm going um, to feed them. The flesh, if the flesh is ruling, what's it going to bring? It's going to bring death. The flesh is hostile towards God. It's not subjected to the law of God. It can't even please God. Even if it wanted to, it couldn't, and it doesn't want to. And it says that it doesn't even belong to God. That's what the flesh is bringing forth. But the things of the spirit, what does the spirit bring forth? And, and, just, and of course, this is not the only place in scripture where this is talked about. You go to Galatians chapter five and you see a great list as well. But this is just one example of, of a place where, this, where these two things are, are um, juxtaposed to one another. And so the spirit says, it's the, it, what is bringing brought forth from the spirit, it's gonna affect the way I think. The mind is set on the spirit. What's going to come out of that is life and peace. Uh, the, the one that belongs to the spirit, the, is, the spirit is indwelling that person. And so there's even, a, there's even a fellowship. There's a habitation that's even taking place with the spirit. And the one belonging to the spirit belongs to God. So very, very different, right? The things that are brought forth out of the flesh 
are these things. They're opposed to the things that are brought forth out of the Spirit. And um, if we are of the Spirit, then the, in other words, if the Spirit is living within you, we should be able to see it for sure. But here it is. There is a battle, isn't there? But the things that are brought forth from the Spirit far surpass, supersede, always will triumph over the things that are brought forth in the flesh. But there is a battle over it. I even want to um, look at, at, at this, and that is, and we're going to see this, uh, I'm going to unpack it a little bit more here, and that is um, when I want to step into the things of God, I want to step into the covenantal blessings of salvation. I cannot do it through the silence on the left. It can only be accessed, the things of God, the blessings of salvation, the fullness of all that, you know, it's even relationship with God. It can only be had through the things of the Spirit. Isn't that right? Look, the things of the flesh does not even belong to God, cannot even please God, is hostile towards God. There is nothing in my flesh that is going to result in uh, fellowship and unity and, and all of that with God. I can't access God through my flesh. All right. I bet that none of you will disagree with that. I think everybody here probably gets that. This is not like it's a new revelation for everybody. And so I think that my, and yet, let me say this, it's repeated over and over and over and over in Scripture. Why? Because I think we need to hear it over and over and over again. So my job tonight is not so much to convince you, or my goal tonight isn't to convince you of this reality, that that which is born of the Spirit supersedes that anything that could be brought forth from the flesh. I think you already know that. But I want to, my aim would be, could we as a family come again and look at it? And just be reminded again, because sometimes what we need to do is to uh, magnify the things that are just foundational. Sometimes it's not like, oh, I have this new flashy truth. Let me just go back to the thing that will never, ever shift. And, and let me just continue to build my thoughts upon that and build the way I order my life upon these things. And so um, I actually believe that this reality of, of the flesh and the spirit and that that which comes from the spirit will supersede that which comes from the flesh is inside the Joseph story. And I think it's inside Reuben's story. And so that's where I want to take you tonight and see if we can't see that a little bit. So, Lord, I just pray right now for uh, what we're about to do. God, I ask that you'd help me to communicate clearly, clearly. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and open our eyes of understanding, Lord, that we could behold the wonders of your word. Lord, would you illuminate uh, the truth to us? And God, we will exalt you at every turn. In Jesus' name, amen. And so just to make sure we're all on the same page, you know, just with the story of Joseph, I think you probably are, most of you are familiar with it, but uh, Joseph uh, is one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob, of course, is, um, is a, uh, he's also known as Israel. He had 12 sons, and these 12 sons uh, became the 12 tribes of Israel, and those 12 sons were born from four women. And so that right there should alert you that there will be drama. There will be something that is inside of this story. Uh, Jacob loved Rachel. This was his, uh, 
he fell in love with Rachel when he was uh, younger, before he had uh, met anybody else. He fell in love with Rachel. She was beautiful in every way. And he had a deal with Rachel's, hus- uh, excuse me, Rachel's father, Laban, that he would work for seven years that he would be able to marry her. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of a long engagement. That's a high cost. But the scripture says that it seemed but only a few days to Jacob, those seven years, because of his great love for her. And so the time came uh, when the time for the wedding and, um, and uh, the day of it and the, the wedding feast was had and everything was going great, I suppose. And I think you know the story twist that's about to take place. But the night of the wedding, like after, uh, after it's dark and the bride is still veiled and the groom has probably had a lot too much to drink and Laban does this uh, a switcheroo. Right, And instead of bringing uh, Rachel to the bridal chamber, he slips in Leah, the older sister. Well, Jacob was probably snockered, and so he had no idea until the morning he wakes up, and behold, it's Leah. And he was livid because he thought, I've just worked seven years for Rachel, and I'm an honest guy, and this guy has just... Uh, done a fast one, and I'm not in love with Leah. And so you guys know the story. He um, goes to Laban. He's furious, and Laban says, in a week, I'll give you Rachel, but you're going to have to work another seven years. So for 14 years, he works for Leah. So Jacob's family is off to this awful start, Right, so now he's got, within a week, he now has two wives. Rachel is probably furious. And don't you just wonder, like, what, what's not said is, where was Rachel tied up, right, when Leah's being ushered in her dress, right, into the bridal chamber? Well, anyway, we don't know that story. But Jacob's family is off to a rough start. So Rachel is probably furious. Leah is unloved, which is very sad. And they're both really jealous, and so there, there's this competition that begins between these two ladies to see who can give Jacob, or excuse me, yeah, Jacob, to see who can give Jacob a son. And so the sack race begins, and, uh, but only one gets going, and that's Leah. And she, right away, she apparently gets pregnant, and she gives birth to Reuben, this firstborn. But she is unloved. And so she says, well, I've given Jacob this son, and so I'm going to name him Reuben, which means behold a son, because maybe if Jacob sees that I've given him a son, he'll love me. Well, the, keeps, the competition keeps going. Jacob's love didn't change, but apparently he kept being with her because uh, Leah goes on to have three more sons right on the heels of Reuben, and Rachel remains barren. Hard story. So what Rachel does, and I think you know the story, is she takes her maid because any child that's born through the maid could be considered hers. She gives Jacob the maid and says, go into my maid. It didn't work for Sarah and Abraham. It's not going to work here. But she gives him the maid, and sure enough, she bears two sons for Jacob. Well, Leah sees that happening. She says, I've got a maid. So over here, she gets her maid involved in the thing. And so between those three women, all of a sudden, he's got 10 sons. And Rachel's still barren. And that's hard. And then the scripture says that the Lord remembered Rachel. And he opened her womb and she gave birth to Joseph. And then eventually she's going to give birth to Benjamin. 
Well, the time came and the Lord, so Jacob's got all these children and he has all this livestock and he's very successful. And, and the Lord said, it's time for you to go back to your homeland. I want you to go back to Canaan. I want you to go back to the, the land of Abraham and Isaac, your father and your grandfather. And, to the, and it, this was also the piece of, uh, piece of land that God was covenanting to Jacob's. Like, you're next in line. It's going to be Abraham and Isaac and it's you, Jacob. And I'm giving this land to you. So I want you to go from where you are uh, at your Uncle Laban's with all your family now and, and head down. And so Jacob sets out and he does that. And of course, we're leaving out so much of the story. But anyway, we get to Genesis chapter 35 and it says this, that um, it came about that while Israel or Jacob was dwelling in that land, he had made it home that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel, or Jacob, heard of it. So he's in the land, and, he's and the scripture is just about ready to give us the birth order of, those, of these sons. It was 12 sons at that point. Benjamin was born. Here comes the birth order. Here comes the 12 tribes. Here, I mean, they're not tribes yet, but they're the 12 sons who are going to become the tribes. And we just throw in this sentence. We just throw in this detail about Reuben that it's a horrible detail and nobody really wants to know about it. But here it is that he slept with his father's concubine. This is Rachel's maid, Bilhah. And then, like, that's all it says. That's all it's talked about. And it just says, and Jacob saw it, or he heard about it, excuse me. Jacob heard about it. But anyway, back to what I was saying, here's the 12 sons. And here are their mothers, you know? And it's just like, what, what, what about that? You know, have you ever come to this passage in scripture and you're like, that felt like something. Why didn't you keep talking about that? But he's not talked about until we get to the end of Jacob's life in Genesis 49. And Jacob, and I know you know this, but Jacob, at the end of his life, he brings his boys into him, and to each one of them, he's going to give them their, you know, his blessing at some sort, and he kind of really just prophetically begins to speak over each one of those sons. Well, J Reuben is the firstborn, and so here's what Jacob says to Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Check this though, uncontrolled as water and you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. In other words, Jacob's like, yeah, I did hear about it. And now all these years later, I'm remembering it. And as I'm about to pass away and, and my firstborn is going to take the role of now the kind of the patriarch of the family, Reuben, it should be you, but it's not going to be you because of what you did. You were uncontrolled as water. And because you went up to, and you violated my, my bed, this incestuous relationship that Reuben had that we only get like, you know, oh, there it is, one sentence, affected his entire future. And so the double portion and the place of honor that should have gone to Reuben was not given to Reuben. And what we learn in scripture right here is that in this same mix of the story, in actually Genesis 48, 22, and I don't have a slide on it, but Jacob is speaking to Joseph, not the son firstborn of Leah, but the firstborn of, of, of Rachel. And, and, and number, number 11, son, 
So it's not even the second son, but the number 11 son. But the firstborn of the loved woman, he, uh, Jacob says to him, I give you one portion more than your brothers. So the double portion, the inheritance that should have gone to Reuben, didn't. A younger brother got it. It went to Joseph. And, and even as you read, I won't take the time to do it, but as you look at Genesis 49 and, and these blessings that, that Jacob gives to his 12 sons, it's extraordinary what you read about Joseph. And he even says that Joseph was more uh, distinguished. He was the most distinguished among all of his brothers. And if we were actually were doing a series on Joseph, you would be amazed, and I know you have studied Joseph's life probably before, heard messages, but one of the most extraordinary uh, types and pictures of Jesus is the, is the person in the life of Joseph. It's, just, it's really extraordinary. And as you know, he ends up saving the family years later in, in the years of the famine. So much there that we're not talking about, but this is the part I want you to see as it relates to what we're talking about tonight that the younger son superseded the older son. Joseph, when he's given this, um, the inheritance uh, that would have been, should have gone to, uh, you know, naturally should have gone to Reuben, uh, he displaces the power and the authority. He supersedes the power and the authority of Reuben. But this was what, this was what, um, what was ordered of the Lord. And what I also find interesting is that in the same setting, at the same time that Jacob is having the end of his life and these boys are being young, uh, these men now are being ushered in, Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joseph takes his two boys into grandpa, into Jacob, and he says, would you, you know, bless my sons? And Jacob's like, oh, I would love to bless your sons. I, I never thought I'd see you again. And it's just been such a wonder to me that here you are. And so you know what he does, and I think you know this story, is Jacob goes to bless Manasseh, the firstborn, and Ephraim, the second, and he crosses his hands, and he blesses Ephraim with the firstborn blessing, and Manasseh as the one that would serve Ephraim. And Joseph sees it, and he's like, no, 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 switch, 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 you got to miss it, because Jacob couldn't see, and he's like, no, it is what I said. I'm switching it. What do we see again? That the younger son would supersede the older son. But you know what? It's not even the first time. This, this is not even the first time because I can tell your brains are already going. Think about it. Abraham. Abraham had two sons. We have more than that later, but let's just talk about these two. Ishmael was born first and then Isaac, but Isaac was the son of promise. Ishmael was a product of the flesh. And so what happens? It's the younger son who supersedes the older son. And though Ishmael was tremendously blessed by God, and the descendants of Ishmael tremendously blessed by God, yet the blessing, the covenantal blessings, the Abrahamic covenant would come through Isaac. And so the younger son received the blessing uh, that the older son would have had in the natural means. And this doesn't even stop just at Abraham, right? Because then Isaac, where the blessing goes through, Isaac had two sons. It's Jacob and Esau, right? Oh, but it's actually Esau and Jacob. Because these twins in Rebekah's womb, right, as they're born, Esau is the one that comes out first. But as he's on his way out, you know who grabs his heel, right? But it's, it's Esau who is the firstborn. Jacob comes out second. 
and you know this story. Uh, it's it's told over and over again about how um, uh, how Jacob, well, how Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And so once again, you see that the younger is going to supersede the older. And and that. Uh, and you know what? They've gotten a bad, Jacob got a really has gotten a lot of bad press over that whole thing. You know, um, that he would, uh, even the dishonesty of Rebecca, the dishonesty of Jacob, that that's how he landed with that. But I want to suggest to you that I don't buy that. I don't buy that because of, of and I think you're going to see this message that this, I, there is a theme that's taking place in that that which is second is going to be preeminent. Let's keep looking at it. Here, let me just add interest to intrigue, though. Sarah, uh, Sarah, Isaac's mom. And I hope I get all the names right, right? All of a sudden, I can't can't remember my best friend's name, you know. Uh, Rebecca, so be Jacob's mom. And then uh, Rachel, it's going to be Joseph's mom. All women of barrenness. Interesting. So crazy that this is happening, right? The firstborns being displaced, but they come all come through the women of barrenness. Why? What is this? What is happening? You know, Sarah even, she, was, she probably won the award for the least likely to have a baby. Now she's 90, but it says this in Hebrews 11, 11, that by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she convinced him, uh, she considered him, excuse me, faithful who had promised. She said, I know you have said this to me, God. I'm now 90 years old. It is absolutely impossible for me to have a child. And yet she maybe laid her hand on her own womb and she said, yet I believe that God's going to be faithful to what he said. And sure enough, you know, Isaac was brought forth. Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel all endured the barrenness for many years. And these sons through whom uh, would come the Abrahamic covenant and through whom would come the covenantal blessings of salvation and the Messiah himself, all were sons of barrenness. Why? I want to suggest to you that it is because it must be a miracle. It must be a thing of the spirit. These these sons were not going to be brought forth because of the result of a flesh. They weren't natural. They were supernatural. Even their births were supernatural. Their ministry was supernatural. What would be coming through their line was the most supernatural in that it was the Messiah himself and that salvation would come through these three. Or, is, you know what I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does it mean to us? Well, in many portions and in many ways, repeated again and again, I, I think that this is what we're seeing, is that the things of the flesh, the, the natural, is not preeminent. It's what's coming forth in the spiritual. It's the second. We were born, even, okay, this isn't in the notes, but... So I don't have a graph or a, uh, a mess. Or what am I saying? I don't have a slide for this. But even in Romans 5, when you think about it, it says the first Adam through the first Adam, through the first son of God. Do you know what I'm saying? The son of God, right? He didn't have a mother. Brought sin and death. But scholars call Jesus, and in Romans 5, it says, but through Jesus, the 
the other guy that didn't, right, have a, a full set of parents, was God's son also, right? And the scholars will call him the second Adam came life and salvation. What is it? This one supersedes that first one. What are we saying? We're saying that that which is brought forth out of the natural, that firstborn, we were born in our sin, that natural, that firstborn, is not preeminent. What comes forth? And this is, and I think, you know, Nicodemus, the story of Nicodemus in John 3 comes to mind as well. Nicodemus comes at night to Jesus and he's got eternity on his mind. He has the kingdom of God on his mind. And he says to Jesus, he's, uh, you know, he's like hemming and hawing a little bit, but God knows, Jesus knows right away. He's like, you're, I know exactly what you're talking about. You want to know the way, you know, basically for eternal life. And, and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, a scholar, he says, how? How could a man of my age be born again? What, could, would it be possible for me to go inside my mother's womb again? And Jesus says to him, no, not, not physically, spiritually. You want eternal life? You want reconciliation with God? You want forgiveness for your sins? Oh, it won't happen in the firstborn. It will happen in a second birth. That this, this things of the spirit, birth of the spirit will supersede the things that, that you were born with in the flesh. The way to God will never be from the flesh. It's not my first nature it's, or that's gonna get me reconciliation with God, forgiveness with God. No, it's that which has come second. And we see it over and over by these sons. And even that they're coming forth out of women who are barren, it's impossible. It's not natural. It's not a thing of the flesh. It's not a work of the flesh. This is a supernatural move and God is just doing it over and over and over again. Does that make sense? You know what? I don't believe that Esau was ever intended to receive the firstborn inheritance. You know, I know that... uh, this is interesting to me because I, I think that we've heard this probably, uh, I wondered about it for years, where you hear this phrase, oh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Did that ever bother anybody? That always kind of bothered me. Because I'm like, really, Lord? Did you have to say that? Like, could you have thought of anything else right there? You know, like, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but why Jacob have I loved and Esau I have hated? You know, it's interesting to me because the first place that this shows up is in the book of Malachi, which is the last prophet to speak. And the book of Malachi is really written primarily to the priests. And, and it's because the priests, they, they were so, it was to the people too, but primarily to the priests because they were living lives of such compromise. They were divorcing their wives at whim and they were stealing from God and the tithe. And there was like, you know, just a default in, in, the, um, in their character and everything. And the Lord speaks through Malachi and, and he even says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, oh, how have you loved us? Was not, es- was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, 
But I've hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Now, Malachi is writing about 1,500 years after Jacob and Esau. So what do, when he's going to reprimand the priesthood, why even bring up this thing of Jacob and Esau? It feels like this doesn't fit right unless you look at it through the eyes that Jacob is a picture of the spirit and Esau is a picture of the flesh. That Esau is the first, the natural, but Jacob is the second, the spiritual. And now it makes perfect sense when you hear, oh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, when he's in the context of talking to the priest like, you're ungodly men. I hate your, I hate your fleshy, natural actions, but I love what's birthed of the spirit. Now that makes sense. And so Paul even speaks about this in Romans chapter 9. Look, at he's going to tie all this together for us. And he's going to quote Malachi, and it says this, For they're not all Israel who are descendants from, descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abram, Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Through the son of promise... Through that one that was birthed from the spirit, it was a supernatural birth, not a result of the flesh. He says, that's who will be named. That is, that is, it's not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. And for this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebecca. Also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and hadn't even done anything good or bad so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, uh, not because of works, it wasn't because of what uh, Esau had done or Jacob had done, but only because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older one will serve the younger. The flesh will serve the spirit. Just as it was written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Well, what shall we say then? Is there, uh, there's no injustice with God, is there? No, may it never be. That was not unfair, was it? No, he's writing what in many portions and in many ways he's saying to us again, I want you unto myself. I'm creating a people for myself, but the, the way in, the door in, the avenue in will not be through the flesh. It'll be through the things of the spirit. And so, you know what? I've heard a lot of messages where Jacob gets a beating because his name is the heel grabber. His name means the supplanter. And I say, stop it, everybody, right? Stop the bad messages. Stop the bad press. Because you know what? Praise God. If the thing of the Spirit is going to grab hold of my flesh and supplant it, let it happen. Amen? Amen? I want Jacob to grab a hold of the Esau in me and supplant the thing. So, but it's become, okay, can I say, can I get up into the business here? It's become an anti-Semitic bash. That Jacob was a trickster. The Jews are tricksters. Oh, he wasn't fair. Oh, the Jews weren't fair. You got to watch out. No, that isn't, that is so not the story here. 
Jacob's not the bad guy. Jacob was the one through whom the blessing would come, even as it was gonna be, you know, Isaac and Jacob, and it would be Joseph. This and let's just keep going, Manasseh and Ephraim, right? It would go through Ephraim. Do you know what I'm saying? In in that there would be the second blessings. Messiah's gonna come through Judah, but that's a whole nother story. And it really is a whole nother story. But what I want us to see is the things of the spirit are second born. It's right, born again. Born again. And so we need to put away any of the Jacob dogpile because I thank God that he is the supplanter. I thank God that he is the heel grabber. And it maybe looked like a funny story, but when you unpack it and even throw in Malachi and put in Romans here where Paul is saying, and look at the big picture here, what God is doing. I am so grateful for, for the Jacob part inside of me, the spirit that has grabbed a hold of that flesh inside of me and said, you're not reigning anymore. We're gonna supersede that. And the spirit now reigns in my life and in your life. Amen. Yeah. And so I think none of you would disagree with that. I think you would all say, no, that's foundational. We know that. The things of the spirit will always supersede the flesh. He's not impressed with the flesh, but he wants us to move according to the Holy Spirit, that he might get all the glory and that it would even be decent and beautiful because of the things of the flesh are so opposed to the things of the spirit. It even says that in Galatians 5, that these two are in opposition to one another. But Paul writes also to the Galatians. The Galatians knew that that salvation was of faith. They knew that it would come from the spirit. But once they even became believers in, in Yeshua, there was this funny little trip that they took in their hearts and in their lives where they began to pick up law, the law again in the sense of, uh, of doing it, not out of just personal preference, but out of the sense of, I, I must do this in order to be uh, accepted by God. So even if I've begun, so here's what he says to them uh, in Galatians uh, 3. It says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, like you came to the Lord through the work of the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like, did you switch it? Like, he, you, you know, you can only come to the Lord through the things of the Spirit. It's a move of the Spirit. It's, it's a work of the Spirit. But once you... Be, once you're saved, like, what are you doing? You're like, you went back to the flesh. Oh, okay, now I'm going to keep it. Wait a minute. I do that. There's times I do that. There's times I'm struggling with that. I get on the performance, you know, treadmill, and I think, well, you know, maybe God will be more pleased, or maybe this will go better for me, and, and it doesn't become a thing of a relationship, but it becomes a thing of a have to, or, you know, if you're not careful, that mindset can get twisted up in there. Anybody else, or is that just me? And so Paul writes this, he does, he says, uh, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with the Messiah. It's no longer I who live, but the Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm, it's my flesh, I am still alive. I'm gonna live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. And so as we just wrap up tonight, a couple of thoughts that I wanna leave you because I don't think I have to, conv again, I, you, there's no convincing that's necessary. I think you all would agree 
I can only receive the covenantal blessings of salvation and have relationship with God when it's a work of the Holy Spirit in my life, right? And so I would say to you, and I'm gonna say it to me as well, even what Paul said to the Galatians, if we have begun by the Spirit, let's also continue in him and put away the things of the flesh. If there's confusion on why, what's motivating me, let's get that worked out. That's a, that's a good fast item, right, to talk about. And it's, it even says in Psalm 139, we'll just end with this, in verse 23, David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, if there's any Esau alive in me, right? I need you to supplant that thing. I need you to grab a hold of that heel, Lord, and I need you to yank him out of there. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash Beit Abba or call our office at 707-455-7790.